what do you suppose people think of us when they see us coming? Do they look at us as a people who are angry? A people about whom we only address moral issues and about those we are only upset about the direction our world is going? Do people look at us as offering a positive alternative for their lives? Do they look at us as having something worthy of being desired, something that we can offer them? You see, perception is such a powerful thing in the eyes of the people whom we meet. Either immediately they are impressed and have some sort of interest in what we're saying, or they look at us and say, I'm not interested in that. For the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the good news to the Galatians. I'm convinced that the Bible has the answer to every problem that man may have. Not only does it have an answer, it has a positive answer. There's a right way that God would like man to go, and God's Word shows us that there are benefits... There are blessings to be enjoyed by those who pursue the good news. For just a few minutes, minutes, I want to talk about good news. Sometimes when people look at our word, to them it doesn't appear to be good news. We need to be realizing that good news is something that you want to hear. For instance, in Proverbs 25, 25, Solomon says, as cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. The kind of news that is encouraging, that is helpful, that is to be desired. Perhaps you have gone to a a distant location, you've interviewed for a job, you really want the job, and the news comes, We're offering you the job and we're offering you a good sour. And you say, okay, I I like that news. That's good news. Or perhaps you've gone to the doctor and you've had a number of tests and you're concerned about the prospects for your long-term survival. And the doctor comes in and says, I've got good news. You don't have cancer or you don't have this disease or that disease. It's something about which you've been anxious, something about you want to hear. But you need to realize the kind of good news we're talking about is the salvation of your soul. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation. Of course, you know that Paul quotes that in Romans chapter 10 and verse 15. And he says that which Isaiah was looking forward to was the preaching of the gospel from which everyone has the potential to be saved. Oh, it's good news. Good news of salvation. The kind that when you hear the news, you're even thankful for the person who told you the good news. 
Let me give you a really good biblical example. If you go to 2 Kings chapter 7, the city of Samaria has been surrounded by the Syrian army. And it's gotten so bad that they're selling the droppings of birds for food inside the city. I mean, the people there are just starving to death. However, there are four lepers there at the gate of Samaria. And they don't really know what to do. They're starving to death. They're lepers. And they say, we can't go into the city. If we go there, there's no food. We're going to die. The Syrian army is now encamped outside of the city. So what we're going to do, we're going to go out and if we surrender to them and they kill us, we're going to die anyway. We're starving to death. And when they arrive at the Syrian camp, there's nobody there. The people during the night have been, by God's miraculous hand, scared And everybody fled. They left their camp. They left their food. They left their animals. They left everything. They ran for their lives. And these four lepers come in and they're just having a ball. There's food there. There's everything they need. And then you listen to verse 9 of chapter 7. Then they said to one, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news. And if we remain silent, if we wait till morning... Some punishment will come upon us. They said, this is good news the people of the city needs to hear about. They're starving to death. I want you to understand, our world is starving to death spiritually. We've got good news. We've got the news like the people who need food And it's a lot about perception. Do they perceive that we are bringing them good news? Or do they see us as being people who are angry and hateful? And how do they look at us? When you go to John chapter 4 verse 35, a very powerful passage that Jesus presents. He says, Do not say... There are still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I tell you, lift up your eyes and look the fields, for they are already white with harvest. He said, don't think it's something we can do later. It's something we can do now. We've got good news. What I want you to study with me for today as well as for a few weeks to come is the good news goes to the Galatians. We're primarily going to study Acts chapter 13 and 14 in our lesson this morning. With the thought in mind, these are the Galatians. In order to appreciate the gospel going to these people, we've got to know a little bit about them. And so we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the directive found in those first two or three verses of chapter 13. The Holy Spirit's going to send them on a mission, just like God's Word sends us on a mission, a directive, if you will. Number two, we want to look at the destination. What can I know about the four cities that He addresses here? And then finally, some development. 
What happens when you preach the good news? People accept the good news. Do they grow in that good news? The development of it. Let's begin, first of all, with the directive. And if you want to open your Bibles to Acts chapters 13 and 14, we're going to spend most of our time there for the next few minutes here. You look at verses 2 and 3, Luke records, And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, The Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then they prayed and fasted or fasted and prayed and laid hands on them and sent them away. Now, as you begin, you realize that the Holy Spirit is in control of this mission effort. It's not as if Paul and Barnabas were sitting around and and discussing, where would you like to go, Barnabas? Why? I think I'd like to go to Cyprus. Where would you like to go, Paul? I don't know. I've been thinking about making a journey here or there. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit is the one who says, I've got to work to which I've called them. If you keep going a little bit later, verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, not being sent out by the church at Antioch, being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Later on in chapter 16 and verse 7, after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. You see, the Holy Spirit knows where he wants Paul and Barnabas to go. There are people who need to hear the gospel message. And so the Holy Spirit is in control of this message. The Holy Spirit's not only in control of the message and the destination, but the Holy Spirit's in control of the messengers. In fact, if you go back to chapter 9 and verse 5, you read about, or verse 15, you read about Paul. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name to the, before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. God said, I've chosen this man. I want him to carry my message to the Gentiles. Oh, aren't you thankful of that? Aren't you thankful that God, through His divine mercy and love, said, I want Gentiles to hear the Word because you know what? That's us. We are the descendants. We are the Gentiles. And God's message came to us. But it was to the Jew first. If you read Acts 22, verse 21, God told Paul, and Paul recounts it here, he said, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Ephesians 3, verse 8, he said, God's grace was given that he should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Romans 1, and verse 16, For I am not ashamed of thee, Listen carefully. Gospel of Christ. Gospel is literally good news. I'm not ashamed of the good news of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, 
to the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now, where is the Holy Spirit going to send by means of directive? He says, I want you, Paul, to go among this group of people. Peter describes them in 1 Peter 1 and verse 1 as the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Bithynia, and Asia. I want you to notice carefully, Galatia is in there. I don't know who these people are. Who are these people that are in Galatia? They're Jews living among Gentiles where they are the minority. They are God's people living among the pagans. Now, folks, I want you to think of McMinnville being sort of like Jerusalem. There's a lot of members of the Lord's church here. In fact, there's rarely a day that I go out in the community or to a business that I don't see somebody I know as a member of the Lord's church. Do you know, occasionally I travel and go to another place and I may not see another member of the Lord's church the whole day I'm out. You may meet a group of people who are absolutely... Pagans, that is, they have no God to worship. I read an article this morning saying that people aren't going to churches anymore. They're staying at home sleeping. They're watching movies and they're playing video games. Church doesn't offer them anything anymore. And I suggest to you it's because we're not telling them there's any good news to be heard. Something that they're wanting to listen to. But these Jews are living in a pagan culture. They are called Hellenist. You can say, well, where did you get that term from? The Bible. You see, they are Greek-speaking Jews who live among Greeks, who live in a pagan land, and who are just a small minority there. For instance, in Acts 6, verse 1, now in those days when the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. If you're reading an older translation, it says by the Grecians because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. You see, in Jerusalem, there were two different kinds of Jews, those who spoke Hebrew and those who spoke Greek. If you lived among the Greeks, you spoke the Greek language, you were called a Hellenist. Chapter 9, verse 29, And he spoke out boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. You see these Greek-speaking Jews? Oh, they're still Jews. And they're still zealous for the law of Moses. Chapter 11, verse 20, But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And you say, well, what what are you trying to get at? The Holy Spirit, in giving the directive, says, there's a group of people that I want you to go to. These people who speak Greek, Paul, you're capable of doing a good job because you're from Tarsus in Cilicia. You know how to communicate to these people. Let's talk about the destination for just a few minutes. Time's not going to permit me to go into great detail with these. 
I'm going to have to summarize some of our passages. But Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and then the main city of Antioch. In fact, if you want to keep your Bible open there, you can go to Acts chapter 13, verses 14 and 15, the passage that Brother Leonard read to us just a few moments ago. They're on that journey, and they go from Perga all the way up to Antioch. And it says, After the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation, say on. If you've got a message to encourage these people, that's what an exhortation is, we want you to stand up and speak. Well, what a privilege that was. Here's Paul and Barnabas, and they're given the privilege in that synagogue to stand up and teach God's Word. And you know what happens? Paul's going to preach a message there. Now, somebody says, you've already got me confused. Because I thought they left Antioch on their missionary journey, and they came to Antioch. Yeah, they did. In fact, there's 17 cities in the ancient world that are named Antioch. Named after Antiochus, by the way. You may not know that in 17 states there is a city named Paris in the United States. I want you to imagine going from Paris, Tennessee to Paris, Texas. And you can say, yeah, but you got Tennessee and Texas. You got Antioch of Syria, where they started from, and then Antioch of Pisidia, where they went to. I'll give you a little map. Antioch of Syria is in the area of Syria today, right on the Turkish border. But the other Antioch, the Antioch of Pisidia, is in the central part of Turkey. Two different cities, but both of them very important. It's an important Roman city right on a major trade route. It's, it's not a, just a small town. It's an important city. I want to focus for just a minute on Paul's sermon. I can't go into all the details and accomplish what we need to for this lesson, but let me just simplify it and say Paul recounted Hebrew history. Much like Stephen did back in Acts 7, he's trying to explain to them God's plan. But his message is always going to end in Jesus Christ. Who he did and what he did. And listen now to the good news in verses 38 and 39. Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him everyone who believes is justified from all the things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. There's two great messages here. The main message is, because of Jesus, you can be forgiven of your sins. That's the good news. Number two, for this Jewish audience, the real good news for them is, the things that the law of Moses could not do, Jesus does. All this remembrance of sins year by year, the offering of the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes and the sacrificing of an heifer, all oh, that's all going to go away. Because your sins, once having been forgiven, are forgiven forever. 
Maybe we need to realize that the message is the forgiveness of sins. You know, we sing the song, Bring Christ your broken life. That's what we are. People with sin in need of forgiveness. You can imagine how this message was received. There were people who followed Paul and Barnabas and they were wanting to know more and they were invited back the next week. Come back, we want to hear more about this. But when you get back, the Jews are unhappy. Why are they unhappy? Listen to what Luke records. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Now, I want to pause here for just a moment. Almost the whole city was gathered together to hear the word of God. Somebody says, why wasn't everybody excited about that? Let me ask you a question. Be honest with yourself right now. Let's say, for instance... The city of McMinnville finally hears there's good news. And next Sunday, this building is running over with people. We've got people lying on every pew, shoulder to shoulder. We've got chairs sitting in the aisles. We've got chairs sitting in the foyer out there. And not only are there just a few people here, but this whole place is packed. You know what somebody's going to say? They got my seat. I hope we get this worked out next week where I get my seat back. Y'all may think I'm joking. Some people don't like the change. Some people don't like some of the people who are coming. There's Gentiles coming to this Jewish synagogue. There's Gentiles coming. What are they doing here? And so, let's set things back like they were. They contradicted, they blasphemed the name of Paul. I'm amazed in one way and not in another about the reaction. You see, when you have conflict, there's always people who are going to say, let's get the conflict, let's get the peace back. There's actually a Roman law called Pax Romana, which means the peace of Rome. Do you remember the riot that occurred in Acts 19 in Ephesus? Oh, they were always, let's, let's keep things peaceful, let's keep it calm. You remember Pilate, when Jesus was crucified? Let's keep, let's keep everybody satisfied, let's keep everybody happy. So you get to verses 50 and 51, but the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city raised up a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. You know what? you got to leave Antioch. 
Oh, but we brought good news. People are interested in it. Yeah, but that good news, it changes people. It changes things. We don't want that change here. What does Paul do? He goes eight miles southeast to the next little town, also along this trade route, by the name of Iconium. In Acts 14, verse 1, we read, Now it happened in Iconium, they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and spoke so that a great multitude, both of the Jews and Greeks, believed. Wow, isn't this interesting? Paul goes to Antioch and he goes to the Jewish synagogue and there are Gentiles there that are... You know what's happening? Gentiles are going out and telling fellow Gentiles, I've been going to the synagogue down there because I'm a God-fearer. I'm interested in the God of the Bible or the God of the Old Testament. But I heard something exciting. Some, some good news. Okay. Now here there are Jews and Gentiles interested in this good news. Guess what happens? Verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the, mind, uh, the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. How do you poison something? You introduce something deadly into it. Will the God's people be misrepresented? Absolutely we will. Because some people don't want others to hear the good news. Verses 4 through 6. Part was divided, part with the, sided with the Jews, part with the apostles. Violent was attempt made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse them and stone them. They became aware of it and they fled to Lystra and Derbe. So we come to Lystra. In Acts 14, verses 6 and 7, he flees there and it says, and they were preaching the gospel there. You know what's funny with Paul and Barnabas? You get run out of Antioch. Okay, you folks don't want it. We're going to shake the dust off our feet. We're going to Iconium. Iconium, you don't want it. Okay, we're going to go to Lystra. We're going to preach the gospel there. Interestingly, there was a lame man. He'd been lame from his mother's womb, that is, from the time he was born. Paul and Barnabas healed him. They tell him to stand up. When you get to verse 11, what you find is that the people say, these men must be gods. They're able to work miracles. The people are lining up now to bring sacrifices to them. Sometimes when our brethren travel and go into far countries, instead of always bringing the good news, they're carrying with them boatloads of money. And people look and they, they're converted to the money rather than being converted to the good news. You get to verses 14 through 18 and uh, you start seeing Paul and Barnabas say, Folks, we're men just like you are. God is the one who's given us these fruitful seasons. He's the one who's been blessing us. They could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. 
But you see, minds change. And they're going to stone Paul. They're going to leave Paul for dead. Verse 19. Okay, he's going to go to Derby. Verses 20 through 22. He comes to the city. He preaches there to them as well. In verse 20. They made many disciples. Then they returned and went back through those cities. They preached the good news. They made disciples. They're doing exactly what Jesus said to do in the Great Commission. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach the good news, the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Yes, that's what they did. They preached the gospel. They made disciples. And then they strengthened and stabilized the souls. Very quickly now. Verse 23. So when they had appointed elders in every church. You see, what's going on? The gospel now has taken root. It's growing in the lives of real people. They're Christians. They need some guidance. They need some direction. They need some oversight. So they appointed them elders in every church. New Christians are vulnerable to all sorts of challenges. In this case, there's the challenge for these people converted from the unbelieving Jews. Paul, when he recounts this event, In 2 Timothy, he's writing to Timothy, who was from Lystra, by the way. He said, The persecutions, afflictions, and which happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of all the Lord delivered me. And then he says, All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But he said, There's going to be men grow worse and worse. They're going to be deceived and deceiving themselves. You warn new Christians about what they're going to encounter. They're also going to have some uninformed Jewish converts. Yes, some of the people who were Jews and became Christians who were saying, you know what? You can't be saved unless you keep the law of Moses. That's Acts 15, verses 1 and following. You see, this new congregation of people in all these little towns need guidance. They need those elders. And they need that direction. Very quickly, they check up on them. Acts 15, 36, 16, 1, 16, 4, and 5. Then on the third missionary journey in chapter 18 and verse 23, they go back strengthening the disciples. The truth is the good news is for everybody. But it's only good news unless you take advantage of it. You receive the offer. And I'm going to stop here at this point. Second Corinthians chapter 4, Paul refers to, he talks about we are the fragrance of Christ. To those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. When the good news comes, 
If you like the good news, you accept the good news, to you it's life. On the other hand, if you hear the good news and you don't like the message that it brings, because it is for everybody, and you reject it, then it becomes the fragrance of death, a stench. This morning, in this audience, this crowd, this congregation, I'm sure there are those here who need to obey the gospel. The good news. I want you to understand the good news is you can be forgiven of your sins. Jesus freely offers it to you that if you believe that He's the Christ, you'll confess Him as the Christ, repenting of your sins, and then be baptized. Would you not do that this morning? When the moment we sing this song, to come forward on the front seat and say, I want to become a Christian, I want to be baptized. This good news also continues in the sense that Jesus died not only to forgive us of our past sins, but as we walk in the light as He is in the light, His blood keeps on cleansing us from all sin. 1 John 1 and verse 7. But He goes on to say, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Folks, you and I have to acknowledge when we've fallen God, I want your forgiveness. Will you come as we stand and sing?